are in Leviticus 11, and as we approach some dietary laws and the ethics behind these dietary laws, I would like to let you know that I'm going to be taking this talk and saying this talk, and from now on, any dietary issue you come up against in Leviticus or in Numbers or in Deuteronomy is going to apply back to this talk. So as we keep teaching chapter through chapter through the Bible, when we get to similar passage like this in Deuteronomy, I'm not going to stop and reteach it, okay? We're just going to kind of smush it all together and grab it here, but the primary text is Leviticus 11. You can go back and, and read with great interest whether you should eat the gecko or not, okay? Um, So let's start with Leviticus 11, chapter 1, and we'll just read a few of the verses and then skip to the end for a summary. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Say to the Israelites, Of all the animals that live on the land, these are the ones that you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a split hoof completely divided and that chews on the cud. There are some that only chew the cud or only have a split hoof, but you must not eat them. This is how you shop, right? You don't ever look at the label to see, like, fat content, lean meat, right? You just go split, hoof, cud. Is that how it's labeled? Okay, just checking. Um, The camel, though, it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. It is ceremonially unclean for you. So no camel, everyone. Just, that's it, okay? The coney, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. It's unclean for you. I put a picture up of a coney because I wasn't sure if you knew. That's not, you're not allowed to have that at the supermarket. Um, the rabbit, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. It's unclean for you. And the pig, though it has a split hoof completely divided, does not chew the cud. So it's unclean for you. You must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. Of all the creatures living in the water and the seas of the streams, you may eat any that have fins and scales. But all the creatures in the seas or streams that do not have fins and scales, whether among the swarming things or among the other living things in the water, you are to detest. And since you are to detest them, you must not eat eat their meat, and you must detest their carcasses, and anything living in the water that does not have fins and scales is to be detestable to you. So no catfish, no shrimp. Got it, everyone? Okay, all good. Okay, these are the birds you are to detest and not eat, because they are detestable. The eagle, the vulture, the black vulture, the red kite, the kind of black kite, any kind of raven, the horned owl, the screech owl, the gull, any kind of hawk, the little owl, the cormorant, the gray owl, the white owl, the desert owl, pretty much owls are out, the osprey, the stork, any kind of heron, the hoopoo bird, hopi bird, the bat, all flying insects that walk on all fours are to be detestable to you, but there are, however, some winged creatures that walk on all fours that you may eat, and those that have jointed legs are hopping on the ground, so of these you may eat, everyone, thumbs up, here you go, uh, locust, katydid, cricket, or grasshopper, okay, so no rabbit, but the locust, all for you. All for you. Um, All other winged creatures that have four legs you are to detest. You will make yourselves unclean by them. Whoever touches their carcasses will all be unclean until evening. Whoever picks up one of their carcasses must watch his clothes, and he will be unclean until evening. Don't defile yourselves by any of these creatures. Do not make yourselves unclean by means of them or be made unclean by them. And you, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves about on the ground. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. And those are the verses summarized that we're grabbing out of chapter 11. Our talk tonight is called The Omnivore's Conundrum. So... All of those books that we have out and the documentaries and the things that, listen, I couldn't put any images into our slide presentation today because, and I'll just tell you the honest truth, I won't ever eat again. 
So all of the things that um, we typically think of when we know about our own dietary problems and challenges and the ethics behind that, we watch the documentaries. I saw the natural history of the chicken, didn't eat chicken for like months on end. When I was in junior high, I went to a New Zealand Maori Indian, like native, um, beautiful celebration, local celebration, and out came a whole animal out of the ground, and that was it. I was a vegetarian for five years. So um, I can't look at these pictures, and I can't show them to you, but I'm going to suggest that the things that we talk about when we talk about diet— that these ancient things, these, these weird rules that sound bizarre to us, that sound like they don't have any application, actually have a significant and steady ethical application for our world today. So while we might sit and read that list and think, this sounds bonkers, how does Leviticus 11 speak to me today, or Deuteronomy 14 and the other passages and don't eat blood and all of this, it sounds a little bit like, well, why can't I have bacon, really? You know, let's just have the bacon. And you can debate and discuss <laughs> all of those wonderful, what is it permitted to eat? Who can, who can eat it? Can Israelites eat it? Can Gentiles eat it? All of those types of things. But the ethics that drive God's commandments here about what we eat are still applicable today. Hang with me. I'm going to prove my point in 10 minutes. Remember that all of this has to do with back to Exodus 19, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There is an expectation that God has for his people that they will live differently and distinctly from the other nations, from the other people groups on this earth because God is dwelling in their midst and they are to be holy. They are to be distinct, set apart. And as a result, they live differently. What is the thing that we wake up in the morning and the first thing we think of, my, it's actually the first thing our daughter says in the morning, if it's not, I want uh, to ride a roller coaster, it will be, I want breakfast, I want some eggs, and then she starts listing, you know, items. And then about 11 o'clock, mommy, I'm hungry, and we start listing items for lunch. Food is something that we do at least three times a day, some of us a little bit more. And we like to think about what we're going to eat, where we're going to eat. And if I'm honest, I'll say I'm a bit of, uh, I like good food. I'm a bit of a foodie. I'm a little bit picky. I do like fear-free eating. I've been telling my husband this for years. I want fear-free, guilt-free eating. I don't want to be afraid of where my meat came from or what happened to it on its way to me. And I don't want to feel bad about it. So I need some fear-free, guilt-free eating. So we have some specific rules in our home about what types of food we buy and where we buy it from so that I can live with that ethic. I don't want to feel bad about what I eat. I don't want to feel bad about how the animals treated. I don't want to feel bad about how the people were treated as they were bringing me this food. And so and let me just be honest, and I, I love food. So I want really good food at the same time. And as I think about my day and what we do, all of the effort that all of us in this room do in order to provide good meals for our family throughout the day, food, diet is something that consumes us. And it's identified. Some of us will say, They'll, how many people take pictures of their food? And not you, but other people, right? How we talk about food, it consumes us. But in the Bible, what, when we talk about food, we're talking about things that are impure and pure. And Jacob Milgram talks about it this way. Impurity is the realm of death, and life is the only anecdote. 
Life purges the sanctuary by nullifying, overpowering, and absorbing the Israelites' impurities that adhere to it, allowing the divine presence to remain and Israel to survive. So as they eat three times a day, they must eat in such a way and live in such a way that the presence of God, the life of God, the divinity of God can be present amongst them. So the primary instructions regarding what we can and cannot do in the Torah are threefold. The first one is animal food choices are severely limited, everybody. And the only domesticated herbivorous species are allowed. So basically, you can have cow and sheep and lamb. I mean, goat. Baby lamb, that's sheep. Goat. There's no restrictions at all on the vegetable or fruit kingdom that we get in the Bible. But you are limited to those three varieties, those three types of animals. Guess what? Those are the same animals that we also bring to God in his house. So just hold that for a minute. Number two, animals are, must only be killed by those who are qualified by skill and piety. Skill in applying a hallowed technique of slaughtering that renders death painless and piety in being aware of the divine sanction permitting such slaughter, ensuring those employed as butchers do not become brutalized through incessant killing. In the Israelite world, the people that were the ones slaughtering the animals were the priests. And they did that all day, every day. And so the Bible gave instructions, and then the rabbis took those instructions and specified them, as they are wont to do in beautiful ways. And they made sure that when the animal was killed, it was killed in a humane way. They have all these rules. Make sure that the knife doesn't have any notches of it so that it could just be a nice, clean cut. Make sure that the animal feels really like it's going to sleep rather than this brutalized way. What is it that we're so upset about when we see these documentaries on television about how animal life is treated in our um, industrial industrialized nation. It's that we are seeing animals terribly and cruelly cared for, fed, um, killed. The Bible is going to set forth in the Leviticus passage, in Leviticus passage as well in Deuteronomy, specific rules about how this animal shall be killed. Only by particular people. I just want to say I'm very glad that the priests today do not have the responsibility of being the butcher. Um, But if you go and you go to a local butcher shop, you can say, hey, you're the priests of our day. It's very good. Now, Deuteronomy Deuteronomy did specify that when Israel moved into the land and the house of God would be too far away for all of us to go to, but you wanted to eat some meat, that then people in your own community could be trained and learned how to do this. But the process didn't change. They still needed to act with reverence, act with holiness as they would take the life of this animal. That's the second thing that God's going to give us in our dietary restrictions. And the third is that even the few permitted animals are not fit for consumption until their blood is drained. No blood at all. Humans have the right to nourishment, but they do not have the right to the life of others. Blood is the symbol of life, and it must be drained and returned back to God. If you'll recall that passage where Cain kills Abel, God goes to Cain at the beginning of Genesis and says, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. This is because when God creates the world in Genesis, he gives animals nephesh. And the word that we generally render as nephesh in the, in the English, this Hebrew word, is soul. So this is good news for all of us that love these animals and have been sure for a long time that they did have a soul. And I just want to let you know that our dog, Awesome, has made a public profession of faith. And we immerse him to remind him of it at least once a month. So, 
in the Bible, when we have these beautiful animals in our world, animals have nefesh. They have this soul in them. I'm not saying it's exactly like it is for human beings, but the Bible uses the same word. And in fact, the Bible treats them with some responsibility. So in Exodus, we learn that if an animal kills, it must die. Animals are part of God's covenant in Genesis. Animals belonging to Israelites have to even keep the Sabbath, so they have to be religious animals, okay? Uh, Firstborn male animals are God's property. And in the Messianic age, animals will renew their covenant with God, according to Hosea 2, and they'll no longer be predators, according to Isaiah 11. Because animals have nephesh. So these dietary commands that we have in Leviticus are given to us first in the garden, aren't they? Don't, one of the first commands in the garden. Don't eat. So we shouldn't be surprised that a commandment about our diet would show up again because it was the first one that was given to us. It are given to Noah after the flood, and we call those the Noahide commandments. They're given to Israel. Here we are at Sinai, and they're getting these beautiful dietary commandments. They are given to the church. In Acts chapter 15, the church, even the Gentile church, the Noahide commandments are upheld and they are told no blood. No blood. Still incumbent upon the Gentiles, most of us here in this room. And in fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, it talks about this blood. It says, don't eat it. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. Do not eat it that it may go well with you and your children after you because you do what's right in the sight of the Lord. This deeply matters to God. Blood and life deeply matters to God. Human life, the lifeblood of that, when God sees that poured out, he deeply cares. It gets counted. And the same is true for animal life. Years ago, I was working with HIV AIDS orphans in South Africa, in Cape Town. And the kids all there are HIV positive. And they've been told that their blood is sacred. Because they're children, right? And as they were all playing, we're all playing games, one of the little boys, just because he's a boy, bonked and out started to come some blood. And all of the kids, not with shame, just stood and waited. And he waited very carefully. He's been taught that it's sacred. And they waited for the teacher to come and to appropriately make sure that everyone could remain safe. Blood is sacred. It's holy. It's separate. And God cares about it. And when blood is shed, whether the blood of an animal or the blood of human beings as they flee, even blood that we can't see poured out in a sea between Turkey and Greece. God cares and counts that lifeblood. He cares about what we do and how we do it. And here are the implications for us today. Our tables are holy. When we sit down with our family, what God shows us is because we are instructed to eat the same meats that God is permitted, that we're permitted to bring to God for worship in the house of God. That as we sup and dine with God, as we make those sacrifices to God, that our tables in our home, as we serve those same foods, are also holy places. And our meal times don't have to be, I know they often are, rushed and just about nourishment, but our mealtimes can be sacred places of worship, of holiness, and of community and communion. When God commands us in the garden to not eat, 
He's basically saying just because you want it doesn't mean you get to have it. And that there, it's an important human activity to distinguish between that which is prohibited and that which is permitted in God's economy. Not everything is okay. And just because you want it doesn't mean you get to have it. And the practice of the Israelites then, as they are going to now move into the land of Canaan, they're going to be next to neighbors who are going to eat and drink whatever it is that they want, whenever it is that they want it. And they will look on that, and I'm sure because they were teenagers then too, but so-and-so's mom lets them drink blood, right? But so-and-so's mom lets them eat bacon. (laughs) And the Israelites are to remain distinct. They are to remember that It's not okay just because you want something doesn't mean you can have it. God has set forward this ethic of a command. says you are to live differently, and there's some important reasons why. The preservation of our humanity is given through our respect for life. The Bible's dietary laws are God's method of taming the killer instinct in humans. An ethical system by which Israel will not be brutalized by the killing of animals for their flesh. You know what police officers look for if they see an abused animal or a tortured animal. They're distinctly and immediately concerned because the next step for that individual is to harm a human being. That's why we care so deeply about animals in our society because how we treat animals is an indication of how we'll, indication of how we'll treat one another. And people that abuse animals tend to abuse humans too. Always. And God has set forth this very specific dietary instruction so that the humanity of Israel is sustained. Animal life is conceded to humanity's lust and need only on the condition that a qualified few actually do the killing, that death must be effected in such a way as by painless slaughter and the spilling of the blood, giving it back to God, that the slaughterer's sense of reverence for life may never be blunted. Can you imagine not just if you were watching one of those slaughterhouses or one of those inhumane places where uh, animals and factory life and chickens and all of these things that have happened, you know, whether you're talking about veal or all the things that we see about on the news. Can you imagine not just that the torture of those animals is occurring, but that you are the one, the human doing that torture day in and day out, and then you go home to your family at the end of the day? How has that shifted and changed your own humanity? as a result of the way in which you've treated the animal kingdom. God knows that we are deeply changed by these things, deeply impacted. How animals are treated matters, and how people are treated matters. It changes who we are when we permit these things. So, when we eat, we need to stop, and we need to remember, and then we need to thank Deuteronomy 8.10 is the only injunction in our Bible that tells us that we are supposed to pray around a meal. And ironically for Christians, it's not before the meal, it's after. Deuteronomy 8.10 says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Because we are wont to forget. It's rabbinic tradition that also adds a prayer that Jesus upholds of blessing God before the meal, thanking God for the meal before we eat. And Jesus does that, and the disciples do that. It's a good rabbinic oral, oral Torah, oral law. But Deuteronomy 8 tells us, when you've eaten and are satisfied, stop, remember, thank God. 
Thank God for the life of this animal. Thank God for the people that brought us this food. Thank God for the way in which we are demanding for fair worker conditions for migrants, for the farmers in our community, just an hour away from here. So wherever you eat, wherever you purchase your food, my prayer is that as we are able, we do the best that we can. God cares about this, you guys. This is the ethic behind all this. He cares about it not just for the sake of the animal. He cares about it for you and for me. Our world is changed when we don't care about where our food comes from. So I don't know if you're at Whole Foods or Trader Joe's or what package you're reading or fair trade chocolate and fair trade coffee and fair trade. We care about these things, how we bring these things to the table, cage-free, all of those things. These, de- these ethics, they're not mentioned in Leviticus 11, but the ethic behind Leviticus 11 informs and should inform our consumer ethic and our dietary ethic today because it matters. We're changed by it, and our world is changed by it. So let us continue to be good stewards of this beautiful world that God has given us, and let's eat with joy, blessing God for a good meal with one another and with him. Amen.